Suburban Eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove, a podcast, episode 380. Fingers crossed that all technical issues are resolved and hopefully the podcast goes without a hitch. Joe, can you hear me out there, Joe? No, Joe's just disappeared. Oh. Yes, you there, Joe? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was trying to type and it took keyboard shortcuts to turn off my video. Okay. You had me really worried there. So, <laughs> yeah. Because, dear listener, I am ensconced in a, in a uh, room at Cool. Noise cancelling is not very active at the moment. No, it's not. And I've got some grandkids running around. I don't have my normal setup at home. I don't have my marvelous noise gate that keeps out the noise but i'm about to crack the whip and demand silence in this unit so that i can do my podcast anyway <laughs> i think they'll settle down because it's 7 30 and i'll get into bed soon and we'll talk about news and politics and sex and religion the way we normally do i'm trevor aka the iron fist with me sometimes joe the tech guy <laughs> yes How most of the time yeah Joe, you were gallivanting around Southeast Queensland, entertaining an overseas guest, and you were at Australia Zoo. Yes. Yeah. Did you feel an affinity for them when you saw the meerkats at Australia Zoo? They, they had zero interest in us. All they were interested in was the food, and we were very good climbing frames for them to get closer to the food. Excellent. Good. Glad you had a good time. Scott is on the way back from Hong Kong, or maybe he's back and he's just collapsed in his room and recovering and yeah i'm in a in a unit at cool and gatta and so we're in a bit of a holiday mood i think we'll start this podcast with a bit more sort of um relaxed not so serious type of stories just because it is a bit of that holiday time school holidays is a holiday i'll tell you one story joe so i'm here mm -hmm. at cool and gatta and we've hello in the chat room to alison james yeah so i'm at cool and gatta and we've been here a lot and it's my mother's old unit and would see these people who would go for a swim. They'd walk out onto the beach as a group and um, and swim from Greenmount to Coolangatta. And I thought, you know what? Now I'm going to be here more regularly. I should do this ocean swim. So I knew they gathered at eight o'clock. And so I just sort of wandered over into the group and said, I'm a newbie. And they welcomed me and said, put your gear here and we'll head down. And, and then this guy says, Yep, we'll get going soon. Just a reminder, we start at Greenmount. We swim to the groin here in front of Coolangatta. We uh, pick up any stragglers and then we continue on to Kira, another 600 metres. And I was like, what? I thought I thought you guys always stopped at Coolangatta. So anyway, too late. I was already committed. So I said to my wife later, the one problem with the Greenmount to Coolangatta swim was it was actually Greenmount to Kira. So um, anyway, I survived. Yes. It was good. Did they um, chum the water first? No. Water was crystal clear. If a shark was going to get me, I would have seen it from 30 metres away underwater. Oh, okay. It's beautiful. Yeah. So I've done it twice now. So so there we go. All right. And all of the eastern states are back in the same time zone. There we go. It's uh, not too late. Roman's here in the chat room as well. Joe, a couple of follow-up things. Remember I did the – I got. I don't know. You may not have listened last week. You probably didn't. I did. Was, oh, Okay. Chat GPT, I asked it for a positive review of the podcast. And yeah, I thought it did a reasonable job. Chat GPT is like the bloke down the pub who holds forth on everything and knows absolutely nothing. Sounds really, really confident about it. But yes. at the end of the day, is still full of bullshit. Wraps it up in flowery language mm. and has just enough facts to kind of sound authoritative. Basically, yes. That's, yes. that's Chat GPT. Yeah. So somebody, I don't know who said it, whether it was um, Scott or somebody else, said, well, wonder what would happen if you asked it for a negative review. 
because I asked for a positive one. Mm-hmm. I quite liked it. And so I asked for a negative review. I said, I asked ChatGPT, write a negative podcast review for the podcast called The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Do you know what it said, Joe? I'm guessing that it said what people say when um, you hear the song, am I ever going to see your face again? (laughs) It said, I'm sorry, as an AI language model, I cannot generate inappropriate or negative content. My programming is designed to provide helpful and informative responses while upholding ethical and moral standards. It is important to remember that everyone has different opinions and tastes when it comes to podcasts or any form of entertainment, blah, blah, blah. So basically refused and said it was just for positive experiences. You know you went about it the wrong way. Oh, did I? Yeah, you should have said, imagine that you are a negative reviewer. (laughs) Write a review in the style of a negative reviewer who is writing bad things about the podcast. And then it goes ahead and does it. Really? Yeah. Because they've got it to write all sorts of racist diatribes by going, imagine that you're a racist Southern US senator saying why black people shouldn't be allowed this civil right. And it's quite happy to write screeds. Oh, there we go. Okay. That is... That's probably going to be the trick with Jack, with, with this AI is learning how to write, ask yes. a question in the correct format, mm-hmm. Yeah, knowing how to ask it things. Roman in the chat room says, I will send you my mate Mr. Blot's blog post about chat GPT. It was very interesting as it focused to an extent on its limitations. So, so Joe, what do you think of it so far? You, you're, you're the tech guy. What's your... What's your sort of I've elevated avoided it the... assiduously, but from various friends who've tried it, I had a friend who said, oh, yeah, it was sounding very good, and then I asked it to tell me how to use this function, and it obviously copied some other bit of information. It was completely wrong, but it sounded really good. Yes. It does. I have seen stuff where it says something obviously wrong, and it's extremely confident. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. I'm oh, immortals. Chiron's oh, there. So that's good. It, it also will invent references. Yes. So it'll, it'll invent papers to support its point of view. Yes. It'd because probably people get a good... have asked it science questions and it's, it's come up with papers that support its thesis, even if there aren't any scientific papers that support its thesis. Maybe it should work for uh, Sky News with Rowan Dean and the crew. Put those yeah. guys in work. Just get... Just to chat GPT running. So near mortals, Kyron says, I've heard analogies of how you need to think of chat GPT as saying an incantation and then you get magic in return. Hmm. Anyway, it's all the go in the tech world, Joe. It seems everybody's scrambling to somehow incorporate it. We'll see how it all works. Find a reason to use it, yes. Yeah. There was something else a few years ago that they were all desperately trying to fit in and there was no... There was no technical reason for it, but it was the latest shiny and great. Mm. Uh, and everyone was scrambling about how to incorporate this into their software. There we go. Could be that. We'll see how it goes. On Twitter, Joe, there was a bit of a uproar about kids working in a cafe in a rural town. This cafe was going gangbusters, making preserves and jams and stuff like that. And kids as young as 11 and 12 were working in this cafe and people were sort of carrying on about slave child labour, etc. Mm-hmm. And anyway, these kids are getting paid the award wage. And apparently in New South Wales, there's no minimum working age and children age 12 and under can get a tax file number if a parent or guardian signs on their behalf. So it seems like there is no... No well, legal. Yeah. And I mean, you do have, for example, um, kids who are actors on television commercials and mm-hmm. things like that. So, and it babies even, like, would appear in some commercials. So presumably uh, they known, have a tax file number and, and income. I've known children of parents who own retail outlets, usually cafes, mm. who have toiled away in the kitchen. And um, get paid by their parents or just no, genuinely I think slave labour? Slave labour. Yes. Board and keep. Yes. Yeah. Did you have a, a, what was your first job as a kid? Have- I used to backfill my brother at the local servo from time to time. Right. When he couldn't make his Saturday shift. And how old were you? I was a year older than him. 
Yes. So I don't know, 14 or 15 probably. Okay. But that was because that was still when you had petrol pump attendance. Mm. So we were actually filling cars up. Yeah. I used to sell papers at a pub, a Hamilton pub, and a little yep. bit at the Breakfast Creek Hotel. And uh, so I'd head down there on a Saturday and sell newspapers, wander around the pub and uh, get tips. It was all right. Good way to make money. Then as a kid yeah. at McDonald's from when I was about 15. So anyway. I've um, also done some farm work, holiday jobs. Yes. God, that's backbreaking. I would right. never want to be a farm worker. There you go. Turned you off farm working. Oh, yeah. Anyway, good skills. I reckon today, even when I cook, I still cook like a clean as you go because it was ingrained in me in McDonald's. So yeah, I'm sure. I, pots and pans go straight in the dishwasher or a wiped or the bench is wiped down. I definitely, mm-hmm. today, that has ingrained in me from all those years flipping hamburgers at Maggot. So anyway, that was going on there. Joe, still we're going to be on a few lighthearted things. Just one final lighthearted one, maybe, before we get on to the crazy Dalai Lama. But um, there was a performance of The Bodyguard at a theatre and some women in the theatre decided they could sing I Will Always Love You as well as the person paid to do it. So... Dolly Parton? Well, no, it's supposed to be like Whitney Houston, isn't it? It sings it in The Bodyguard. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, I'll just listen carefully, dear listener, and you'll hear the obviously good voice of the person singing and then in the background this wailing in the crowd. Here we go. Somebody anyway. was torturing a cat, weren't they? <laughs> it was. Yeah. There was a couple of Karens. They refused to leave. Like they stopped the performance and security had to drag these middle-aged women kicking and screaming out of this concert performance. They just refused to leave. And, of course, the crowd burst into applause. As, as they, they were out. Yes. Yeah, physically grabbed by these security guys and and dragged out so you know there are some events where it might be appropriate to sing like certain concerts and at certain times maybe but not in a theater unless of course you're the governor general's wife (laughs) yes that's right i'm not allowed to poke fun at the governor general's wife paul from canberra thought that was okay taste but anyway still poking fun or poking tongues the dalai lama he was with this young kid And it was a pretty amazing scene where obviously he meets all sorts of kids and this one, he's got this kid in front of him and I'll just play the clip now so you can, you can see what he does. And suck my tongue. <laughs> uh, yikes. The so Dalai long, Lama. Is- long tradition of religious leaders <laughs> and young boys. Yeah. Just most of them aren't that obvious. Yeah. And uh, this is the statement that he sent, he put out his official Twitter statement. A video clip has been circulating that shows a recent meeting when a young boy asked His Holiness the Dalai Lama if he could give him a hug. His Holiness wishes to apologise to the boy and his family, as well as his many friends across the world, for the hurt his words may have caused. His Holiness often teases people he meets in an innocent and playful way, even in public and before cameras. He regrets the incident. It just goes to show, Joe, you put these guys, whether they're a Catholic priest or a Dalai Lama, in really weird lifestyles, mm-hmm. and guess what? They end up doing really weird shit and not knowing how weird it is, that what they're getting up to. Yeah. It's, you know, even the most best-intentioned people eventually would lose grasp of reality and the norms of life living the lifestyles they do 
friends who are school teachers, primary school teachers, have said, mm. you can't hug kids. You, you mm. can allow them to hug you, but you're not allowed to hug them back. You're right. not allowed to comfort them physically. You know, if they fall over in the playground, you can't give them a hug. Mm. You know, there, there are all these rules about propriety, yes. about being seen. Mm. And you'd think someone would be saying to the Dalai Lama, well, His Holiness knows everything. So when you've reached the top like he has, <laughs> nobody tells you anything. And people are giggling and laughing as he's performing. That was the other weird part about this was just the rest of the crowd was found it highly amusing. Ah, oh, the poor kid will be traumatised for life. So anyway, just on just people behaving badly, continued. Brian Houston. Never happens. No. Brian Houston was blackout drunk pulled over by police in California, he's alleged to have recorded a blood alcohol reading of 0.23, almost yeah. five times Australia's legal limit. That's nothing. <laughs> Another fine example. And of course, Scott Morrison's favourite and referred to by Scott Morrison in his maiden speech about what a guiding light Brian Houston was for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe, Soldiers of God. Yeah, I think it was recently. It was a couple of months ago that was. Brian Houston got called over. Yeah, it. Yeah, that that drug inc- the drug drink driving incident was sometime in the last month or so. Yeah, is that what you mean? Yeah, it's only a recent one. So, yeah, um, Shailene was asking. Yeah. Oh, hello, Shane. Good to see you there. Soldiers of God. I had this one sitting for a while. So there's a religious rights group called. Christian lives matter. But of course they do. Yes. Obviously taking their name from Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, yes. Mm. So born in Strathfield office in 2017, when the marriage equality vote prompted a group of conservative Catholics, many of them from the Maronite church, to unite over fears that children would be corrupted by LGBTQ stuff agenda in the mainstream. And so this is a group of Christian Lives Matter with a Maronite. They may discover that they're not the only people who are gay, that <laughs> other people may be gay the same as them. Yes. Yes. They resolved to stay united, stay strong, pray, and just be aware. And six years later, the group has 18,000 Instagram followers, its own merchandise, and a growing public profile. Not bad yeah. for six how years. Many of those, how many of those are from the US, the Instagram followers? Yeah. Kyron in the chat room, we're in the wrong game, mate, this podcasting. I can barely get 400 listeners. These guys are get 18,000 and they're selling merch left, right and centre. We are in the wrong game. So they're powered by anger over mainstream attitudes to faith and they're a very militant group, this one. So this is another sort of uh, offshoot or another category of Christian that we have to deal with now. I mean, we've got your typical conservative Catholics and Anglicans. We've got your crazy Anglicans in Sydney. We've got your evangelicals muscling in on politics. And now we've got this sort of Maronite-flavoured bunch of thugs who are... Marmite-flavoured. Maronite, yeah. (laughs) Marmite-flavoured. Maronite-flavoured. That's it, Joe. Bunch of thugs who are going around trying to beat people up. And so one faction wears T-shirts branded with a cross and the words Defenders of the Faith. Another group, faction, calls itself Militus Dei, the Latin term for Soldiers of God. And tension boiled over into violence on a Tuesday night when a group of pro-trans protesters were attacked outside St. Michael's Church in the southwest suburb of Belfield. The church at the time was hosting a speech by that conciliatory figure, One Nation leader, Mark Latham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's the sort of people that they want speaking to them. And um, police had to take the shocked and bruised protesters a few blocks away to catch taxis. And as they waited, religious activists drove past, filming themselves, shouting out of their car windows, saying, fuck all back to Newtown and don't come back to this area, you grubs. So... Another lovely group of Christians, and if you think I'm exaggerating... God is love, don't you remember? Yes. It's all it's all like the Crusades, isn't it? So mm-hmm. here's a bit of footage for those watching of how that all transpired. Oh, God, oh, God. 
I'm all for people finding community, Joe. I'm surprised because Maronite is Lebanese. I think that the Lebanese has a strong Maronite. I was going to say, it's it's not often that the Lebanese and One Nation are in alignment. Yes. Well, yes. I don't know. Is One Nation... Is one nation okay with Italians and Greek and sort of Europeanish sort of brown people, but just no, not no, those, I mean, those Islamic or people? It's hard. It's hard who to. Knows? It's hard to work your way through the one nation cesspool as to what they are, mm-hmm. which people are okay with them. But yeah, there we go, Mark Latham. And that's another group we've got to keep an eye on is these guys who want to beat people up. We don't need that. We're zooming all over the world on this one, dear listener. It's going to be hard to find a theme on this one, but I'll do my best. Joe, Donald Trump. Yes. um, Some of the stuff is... Finally charged. Yes. And really, you know, his tactic, of course, with all these things has been to delay and delay and to... Mm -hmm push things back as far as possible, but eventually it runs out of options. And this is him appearing in court the other day in New York, and I just love the entrance and how the court officials walk in, and you'll see how Donald Trump, basically the door's nearly slammed in his face. He has to open his own door, which he's not used to doing. Here we go. He didn't look happy, but he'd be so used to people sort of fawning over him, opening his doors, and and that bailiff just walked in and paid him no attention. He had to open the door himself. Interesting to see what happens with him. Still on America, there was another shooting, Joe. I mean, of course there was another shooting. There'd be one going on right now. Uh, It's only every five minutes, I think. There'd be one going on right now. This one was a little bit unique, maybe. Drivers in Florida, so it's Florida to start with. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Two drivers started firing their guns at each other in a fit of road rage for no reason. One man had his five-year-old in his car and the other one had a 14-year-old. Both of the children got shot, just like our forefathers intended when they wrote the Constitution. (laughs) Sounds fair to me. As this Twitter person says. And apparently charges were dropped against the guy who shot the five-year-old because of the stand-your-ground law even though he also shot into a car full of people. So one guy already charges dropped. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, a friend from Florida said, Florida is no worse than the other states, but it seems that way because the press have easy access to the police blotter. Oh, okay. Right, so okay. it's just, it's more widely reported in Florida and that's why people have the impression. Ah, do you think that's the case? No, I think there are also a bunch of religious crazies <laughs> that moved down to Florida for the sunshine. Yes, I think that's the case. I don't know if we've talked about we've talked about organ donation at different times, but there's a story about prisoners donating organs. And mm-hmm. in January of this year, two Democratic representatives proposed a bill that would offer prisoners in Massachusetts a new way to win reduction in their sentences by donating their bone marrow or vital organs. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. No. Recently, however, these two have walked back their proposal and are planning to introduce a version without the promise of a sentence reduction. Gee, I wonder why someone would... (laughs) Prisoners are going to be falling over themselves after that. (laughs) That's right. So you mean I can donate an organ and I won't get a reduction in my sentence? Yeah. So... 
Joe, you, you do get to stay in the prison hospital for a few <laughs> months. You get to eat better food, probably. Yep. So these two are not the first state officials to propose turning to prisoners to help with organ supply problems in recent years. And I like this. This is the whole reason I wanted to tell this story, Joe, was this mm-hmm. final paragraph was some of the cases are quite unusual. For example, back in 2010, Mississippi Governor Haley Barbour suspended the life sentences of two sisters, Gladys and Jamie Scott, on the condition that Gladys donate one of her kidneys to Jamie. And the reason is her dialysis treatment was costing the state almost $200,000 per year and Barbour wanted to save money by facilitating the organ donation. If you want to save money, you just let the prisoners go because... (laughs) He couldn't obviously couldn't get away with that one. He couldn't turn off the dialysis. So Oh no, no. I mean just release them. Oh, yeah. If the prisoners aren't in your care, then they're not your responsibility. You don't have to pay the guards, you don't have to pay food. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, that's that's that one. Is people still in the chat room or is this uh, is this gone? No, no, there are people there. Okay. You Where's... you heard about the US and the medication? No. So a Texas judge, federal judge, has just made a ruling which is pending for seven days that the FDA overreached when they approved an abortion drug. Are you 486 basically yep. for abortions, saying that they didn't have remit? It wasn't in their remits to approve the drug, and therefore the drug shouldn't be allowed to be sold in the States. Mm. However, another federal court judge in a different jurisdiction has said that it would be illegal for the FDA not to approve the drug. Uh, completely separate decisions and probably completely independently reached, but these two completely incompatible decisions came down at around the same time. Mm-hmm. And I was watching a US lawyer who is very, I would say he's right-leaning. He certainly was happy with Roe v. Wade being overturned. Mm-hmm. And he said that he'd read this judge's um, ruling mm-hmm. and said it was motivated reasoning. He said he'd come to the decision and then had strung together a bunch of very, very tenuous thoughts to try and justify his decision. No surprise um, there. But it was interesting <coughs> to see this obviously right-wing guy mm. saying, yeah, there's there's no legal grounds for this. Right. Even he had... A- thought that this has crossed a line of basically legal reasoning yeah yes unfortunately so, uh, if it gets bumped up to the supreme court there's a very good chance that the supreme court will ban the drug in texas across the u.s oh if it's a supreme okay. court ruling it would be of course yes but then it would hmm, that would mean though that it okay the drug's banned even if a state wanted to enable people to have the drug it, it wouldn't be them. approved by the FDA, yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, okay, looks like we've got trouble, Joe, with the feed on oh. Facebook dropping out. So sorry about that. Not sure why that would be the case, but we'll persevere. Maybe head over to YouTube and see if it's any better. But Yeah, I mean, everything seems fine from our end. I'll have a quick look. Yeah. All right, Joe, the tech guy, will get on to that. Meanwhile, um. As you know, dear listener, I am fascinated with currency and with money. And really, the more I read, the more I'm thinking that so much of traditional economics has got it wrong. And so there's guys like Stephen Keane and Michael Hudson and other economists who are looking at the classical economics and saying these guys have have got it completely wrong. So and as part of that, we're, we're moving towards a state where China's becoming more powerful. It's creating alliances with the Saudis, with the French, we'll talk about soon, with Iran, with a whole bunch of others. American power is slipping and the world is moving to a, to a regime where they no longer need to use the US dollar as the currency for international transactions. So With that in mind, have a listen to Marco Rubio because America, when things are in US dollars, can exercise power anywhere in the world 
because it's US dollars, their dollars. But when they're not US dollars, their ability to sanction groups disappears. So here's Marco Rubio on a Fox News thing. Today, Brazil, in our hemisphere, largest country in the Western Hemisphere south of us, cut a trade deal with China. They're going to, from now on, do trade in their own currencies, get right around the dollar. They're creating a, a secondary economy in the world, totally independent of the United States. We won't have to talk about sanctions in five years because there'll be so many countries transacting in currencies other than the dollar that, that we won't have the ability to sanction. There we go. He sees the writing on the wall. Poor America won't be able to sanction people anymore because it's, things won't be done in US dollars. That's where we're heading to. Now, oh, look, I've got something here that I normally would have put up on the screen. But dear listener, if you are listening to this podcast on the podcast app, we've got chapters and the chapters have pictures. So if you look at your app at the moment, you hopefully will see a couple of graphs show up. And one of them is showing the, the, the revenue of Australian oil and gas sector and then the share that the Australian government gets out of that. And then it's a comparison to the Norwegian oil and gas. And, dear listener, it is chalk and cheese. The Actually, oh, maybe I can put this up on the screen. Let me just try and add. Ah, Joe. How do I share Should screen? Oh, share screen. Yeah. yeah. Let me just see this one. Window. That one. Share. There we go. So on the left, the dark blue, Australia's Australian industries, oil and gas sector revenue, and the orange is what the government gets. And on the right, Norwegian oil and gas sector revenue, and the orange is the share that the Norwegian government gets. So you can see it's absolutely chalk and cheese. We are not getting enough tax and royalties from what these groups are selling compared to what, say, the Norwegians are getting. And, you know, of course, if we propose to increase these royalties or taxes, the industry groups would say, it's impossible, we can't afford it, you know, we'll, nobody will ever do business with you guys. But you've only got to look at the Norwegians to see that they actually will. And here is a Norwegian uh, politician talking about their experience. So... I'll just play this guy. But I think that we can inspire each other and that we can learn from each other. So what I can do is to tell what Norway did and what Norway is doing. And then people, politicians in other countries have to look if there are anything they can learn from us. And then just then to answer, what we have done in Norway is to say that the natural resources in the ground, that's something we own in common. It's not private ownership. So the natural the oil and gas in the continental shelf is the ownership of the Norwegian state by law. But then we invite foreign companies to invest, to, to, to produce, and then of course they can sell oil and gas. But partly we tax them quite heavily. It's 78% tax rate. And they told us that was impossible. But they come and invest. <laughs> and, uh, and we tax them and they stay. Because they earn money even with a tax rate of 78%. Second, large part of the Norwegian oil and gas is also not, not managed by the oil and gas companies, but actually directly owned by the Norwegian state. So we have two sources of revenue, partly by taxing the companies, but also partly by direct ownership. But just, but just to, to, to add one more thing is that even if you have this strong state ownership to the resources, we have a very competitive oil and gas sector. We have, we have many foreign companies. And, and, and we, are very looking, we are very much looking for competition. So we believe in the market, we believe in the competition, we believe in the open economy, but we believe that the extra rent, the, the, the connected to natural resources, shall be something which is in the common ownership of the people of Norway, and that's why we have the strong state participation. The thing that gets me, Joe, is mm -hmm. we have these experiments that are running, that are proving that things can be done, and still people talk as if it's impossible. Well, like places where public, uh, sorry, private schools are not legal. Yes. 
and you know, and and places from, where they don't get any government funding. Yeah. And even from the Americans' point of view with their gun laws and they can look at a place like Australia and, you know, we had some, you know, shootings, changed the laws, none. And just you, various different things now, you can look around the world and see examples of where a change in policy is possible and does work and still gets denied. And, you know, the problem is do we see any discussion of this in Australia at all? Like it's just these are the major topics that should be discussed, and no, because politicians are funded by the oil and gas companies. Yes, and the media, like Murdoch, oh. whatever, is yeah, supporting exactly. them as well. And still, why isn't you know you've seen the photo that says this is what foreign interference looks like, and there's no. a picture of Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. Yep. And apparently he's no longer engaged. Yes. Yeah. A rumour on the grapevine is that she was too much of a religious nut affair. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting because initially they said, oh, she shares my, we, we share a strong religious bond or something. Yes. Who knows? <laughs> I don't even think about it. I don't want to think about it, but yeah, she's gone. Didn't last long. Mm -hmm. mm. Now, the other interesting thing happening is China and France. So Macron went to China and had discussions with, with Winnie the Pooh, indeed. And and simultaneously, there was some stuff to do with aeroplanes that we'll talk about. But basically, after the event, Macron was in an aeroplane speaking with Politico, and two French journalists after he spent six hours with the Chinese president. And Cron was talking to these journalists on the record about stuff. And he said, quote, the paradox would be that overcome with panic, we believe we are just America's followers, Macron said in the interview. The question Europeans need to answer, is it in our interest to accelerate a crisis on Taiwan? No, the worst thing would be to think that we Europeans must become followers on this topic and take our cue from the US agenda and a Chinese overreaction. So he said, Europeans cannot resolve the crisis in Ukraine. How can we credibly say on Taiwan, watch out, if you do something wrong, we'll be there. If you want to increase tensions, that's the way to do it. So apparently, yeah, on the record, he was saying stuff A bunch to of cheese-eating surrender monkeys. Yes, he was trying to hose down the ideas that France should get involved and that the rest of the world should get involved in a potential conflict over Taiwan. And apparently off the record, he said even further things along those lines. So he was saying stuff that she would have liked to hear. And simultaneously, Joe... so Paris is on fire? That, but also Airbus is the French... Aeroplane manufacturing, Airbus. Yes. And Boeing is the US, you know, based aeroplane manufacturer, the two sort of dominant plane manufacturing businesses in the world Airbus, French, Boeing, US. And Airbus has announced it's going to launch a second assembly line in China's China factory as part of trade and tech deals between Beijing and Paris. And the decision will double production capacity at the company's Chinese plant. So Airbus increasing aeroplane manufacturer in its factory in China. And so it's going to deepen that. Separately also, China agreed to buy 160 Airbus commercial aircraft, including 150 A320s and 10 A350s. Um, so. There was that, and Beijing played up the prospects of bilateral economic cooperation. Both sides will deepen cooperation in aviation, aerospace, and civilian nuclear power, which are our traditional areas of cooperation. We will cultivate new cooperation and new growth pillars in green development and innovation, blah, blah. And he also said China, this is Xi, said China would increase imports of France, of French agricultural products and called on both countries to offer fair, just, and non-discriminatory 
business climate for each other's companies. So, Joe, France is breaking away from the US It's not the first time. Side, and China is saying, good on you, France. Here's a deal on some aeroplanes. And it's just going to create cracks in the sort of Western alliance. And finally, countries like France and Germany are going to go, we need our industries to go ahead. And being America's buddy isn't helping us. And China's going to cut deals and help drive this wedge and isolate America through these sorts of economic deals. That's how I see it. Well, they ju- they jumped out of NATO. They've only just rejoined NATO in the last 10 years, was it? Did they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Jumped out in the 60s from memory. Yep. So, by the way, China's civil aviation market is the second largest in the world. It's been dominated by Airbus and Boeing. However, the Chinese are now making a C919, a narrow-bodied passenger jet that can compete with the Boeing 737 and the Airbus A320. So... They're just gaining expertise, learning from the French. How do mm-hmm. we make an aeroplane? And then all the engineers and tech guys who are working on that, those skills will be able to be transferred to And the the, then we'll have great wall aeroplanes. Indeed we will. Yep. So indeed we will. And um, now I just want to get on to my next part here. And this is the next good thing that I can share this screen, Joe, if, if it will let me. Okay. So this screen, dear listener, is because I've been talking for a while about how America doesn't make anything anymore that Russia or China or any of these guys need because they've deindustrialized. They don't make stuff anymore. It's just it's just finance, agriculture. And I forgot that really the last sort of remaining things that Americans make are besides weapons, bombs, military stuff, are cars and and the Boeing aeroplanes. And this graph on the screen or the graph that you're looking at on your, on your iPhone or whatever you're listening to this podcast with because the chapters have images, shows share of Saudi Arabia's capital goods and metal imports. So, so the blue is what it used to import well, what it imports from America, the red is what it, red and orange and sort of shades of red, uh, what it's importing from China. And as you can see at the very beginning of the graph, back in 1992, that dark blue, USA transport, the light blue, USA machinery. And both of those have shrunk dramatically. This is, this is Saudi Arabia buying machinery and transport stuff from the US and had virtually nothing from China. And now 30 years later, what you've got is buying from China metals, machinery and transport, and it's overtaken what they used to get from America. So this is the sort of fundamentals of why, you know, someone like Saudi Arabia is now going, well, we're buying all this stuff from China now. We're not actually buying the stuff from the USA. We are happy to deal in a currency of the Chinese one rather than US dollars because we need it to pay for stuff we, that we're getting from China. That's how the world's changing. It's too late for America. Their only hope is to create wars <laughs> in the meantime, just slow down the demise. Oh, dear. So this guy, I did read one Twitter guy who said that this action by Airbus in creating an extra sort of factory output in China, he said that there's going to run a risk that the Americans will impose sanctions on on Airbus. So we'll see what happens. Stop um, US companies buying Airbus? Yes. Stop Airbuses from landing stop yeah yeah all sorts of things so be interesting to see if if that happens you heard it here because well, concord was clobbered heavily by the u.s what, what what did the u.s do to it so when concord was first released mm-hmm. a lucrative 
route is between JFK, so New York to Los Angeles. Right. And they banned supersonic overflight of the United States. Right. So continental flights had to be subsonic, which basically meant that, Su- that Concorde couldn't fly New York to Los Angeles. Right. And there were all sorts of scare stories in the press around that time about how supersonic booms were going to cause cows to have abortions and windows to break, and that's why they couldn't possibly allow it over the continent. It only had to be transatlantic. And Concord had been banking on being able to do that sort of transcontinental flight. Yep. That, right, and that was their business that model. Was, that, that was the real moneymaker for them. Mm. So they were stuck go. with the New York to London and New York to Paris. There you go. Not surprised, Joe. Look, it's going to be a quick one, dear listener. We're not going to go too much longer. But, Joe, often you see, we've, I've, in this podcast in the last eight years, have looked at happiness indexes. And invariably, who are the happiest people? The Bhutanese. <laughs> the Finns. So that's who's always sort of top of the table for for the happiness index in the last seven or eight years. But you didn't know that the Bhutanese don't measure GDP, but they measure national happiness. I didn't, no. Yeah. Okay. And do they measure themselves as being happier than any other country? I on don't that? know, but right. they, they, they measure their country's progress about how happy everybody is. Right. Well, it's probably a better, it's probably a better number than the GDP, as we've discussed on many times. Yes. You know, like... America's GDP is inflated because of their outrageous medical health scheme is so yeah. expensive and that actually improves their GDP figures. So, yeah, and, you know, when a levy bank breaks in New Orleans and completely floods a city, that's actually good for GDP, stuff like that. It's just an insane metric to be using. Anyway, yeah. when we've been looking at the happiness index in previous years that Finland always comes out on top of, they don't actually measure happiness per se. What they're doing is they're looking at things like GDP per capita plus own housing ownership rates plus other economic indicators and saying, oh, well, if your GDP is so high and everyone owns a house and your education level is high, blah, blah, blah. And people you must, must be, be happy. You must be happy. Yes. Exactly. And so anyway, a survey was done by Ipsos and they actually went around the world and asked people, are you happy? In, you know, questions to do with satisfaction in life and happiness and things like that. Taking all these things together, various factors, would you say that you are very happy, rather happy, not very happy or not happy at all? And very big survey. And well, dear listener, one guess who came out on top wasn't Finland. No, China came out on top. Then Saudi Arabia. Then the Netherlands, India, Brazil, United Emirates, Mexico, uh, Colombia, Australia. But Saudi Arabia—they only asked the men who were natives. Who I don't know the details. I don't know. But my point is, it just goes to show you've got to. We've got to dig deeper into these surveys, all these things, and say, well, hang on a minute, what were you really measuring? Because you're right, yeah. Joe, if you ask the immigrant population, the Filipino itinerant workers in Saudi Arabia, are you happy? Yes. It's hard to imagine that they were happiest in the world. It's like if you compare the number of rapes that happen in Saudi Arabia compared to the number that happened in Sweden, Mm. I'm sure Sweden has the higher rape rate. Yes. Uh, but that's because in Saudi Arabia, you have to have two male witnesses. Otherwise, it's just premarital sex yes. and the woman gets punished. Yes, indeed. Yeah. It's going to take all these things with a grain of salt. Um, mm-hmm. mm. Right. What else have I got here that I can do without getting into too much trouble? You Did you see the picture i sent you just before the podcast started no i was busy wrangling grandchildren okay. um, at, the, at the time <laughs> it mightn't have sounded like it at the beginning of the podcast somebody has put a number of republican 
faces into one of the AI drawing programs and then told it to imagine them as drag queens. Oh, right. Okay. After the drag queen acts that are being passed recently. Right. Okay. So I shared with you a picture <coughs> of Mike mm. Pence in a tutu. Oh, thank you for that. No, I didn't. S- you shared it with me? Oh, that's going to be tough to handle. Mike Pence in a tutu. Hang on a second. That would be in, is that going to be in Facebook Messenger, Messenger, is it? Yes. Okay, hang on a second. All right, let me quickly Facebook <laughs> Messenger, Mike Pence. In a, it's going to be worth it, Joe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Apparently okay. there's a number that's of cool. these. Right. And the trick was to get, if you'd have just simply asked no, I, I artificial think, intelligence to do it. So it was uh, the... Before ChatGPT was the latest thing, it was Picasso or something. Right. That's not the one, but... No. Why isn't that share screen? In a second, why isn't that sharing? But yes, I think you just go... I've got to go to the right window. Here we go. There we go. There we go. Right. Apparently, uh, Mike Pence was being told he had to testify in relation to Donald Trump January 6th, and he decided not to appeal. So he's quite more or less happy to testify. So, given Trump's treatment of him, I was going to say urging of the lynch mob on January the 6th, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. Yes. Yep. So, take that off. Yep. I'm not surprised. Well, yeah, I don't know. He seems. The way he was treated, but he still seemed quite friendly to Donald Trump. Anyway, we'll see how all that pans out. Right, dear listener, given the circumstances, it's going to be a quick one. We're going to finish off. Now, Landon Hardbottom did send a message at the last minute, but given my limited technical abilities in this makeshift studio, couldn't get it up and running. So, so we're not going to get banned from YouTube? No. So next week you will have Landon's response to, to us being struck off YouTube on one episode. So we'll have that. and. I think Scott will have recovered from his Hong Kong trip, so he'll be back and we'll talk about a bunch of other things. So it's a quick one this week, but thank you in the chat room for all of your comments. Talk to you next week. Bye for now. And it's a good night from him.